Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. We're back in Luke. We took eight weeks and then took a journey through Deuteronomy very quickly. We are now in Luke chapter 6, but I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 1 with us just as a matter of review before we get to Luke 6. And then we're going to be in John for a little bit, for the most of the message, actually. And Jesus' choosing of the 12. Jesus' choosing of the 12. Hey, let me ask, do you remember the good old days of middle school? You probably dreaded this time. Maybe it was gym time. Maybe it was in recess. Would we all line up and we would start to be line and there would be two good popular athletic people? And they would start picking and choosing the teams, whatever his teams might be, Red Rover, maybe it was dodgeball, basketball, whatever, baseball, kickball. You remember those days and you dreaded that time that they would, whether or not they were going to call you, would they call me before then? And your biggest dread was what? Being the last one picked. It was never fun being the last one picked or as we used to do here when we had Summit and we would pick the kids for teams, what a wonderful ministry that was, is they always wanted to be with their friends, you know, and their, their, their best friends and always hated it. But uh, maybe you were the person selecting the teammates <clears throat> and you had the pressure of choosing one person or the next, knowing that you wanted to get this guy on your team because he's really going to help you, but then your best buddy over here, you want to make sure he's on your team or The pressure of making sure you're not the one who picks the last guy, right? You don't want to be the one who says, all right, I guess you're on my team. So either way, picking a team can be difficult, especially when the stakes are higher. One wrong choice can derail the whole game, the mission or the business. There's an old saying, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Meaning that if one part of something is weak, it jeopardizes the integrity or the quality or the effectiveness of the whole. And none of us want to be that weakest link on a team, in a business, in a family. We all want to be the strong one. But that doesn't always happen. I don't know about you, but I remember the excitement of the 1992 Olympics. Were you still writing sports at that time, Randy? I can remember that excitement. When the U.S. basketball team, after some defeats and very close calls in the game of basketball, international play, they decided to select the most elite players, the top players in the NBA to represent the USA. It became known as the Dream Team and included people like Jordan and Bird, Magic, Ewing, Barkley, and oh, uh, some college player named uh, uh, Christian Leitner. This team had been considered the greatest collection of basketball players ever gathered together on one team to play on the world's largest stage. And they did not disappoint. They took over that Olympics. They were like the Beatles as they went in there. I think it was in Barcelona, wasn't it? I think that's where it was, if it's not just an excuse then. They demolished every opponent that they played. But they were still fun to watch as the whole world tuned in and enjoyed the spectacle. Unfortunately, there were a few great players that did not make that cut. They were left off the team. But personally, 
I can't even imagine how hard it must have been for that coach or for that, that organization to choose which players would they take on the dream team and who would be left out. Thankfully, it wasn't left to you or I. I might have made a few different choices, but we'll never know. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 1, before we go on to chapter 6. It was August 23rd last time when we were in Luke's Gospel. Now, I know that seems like a lifetime in 2020 years, so let's take a short minute to review and catch up what we've learned so far. In Luke's Gospel, we find that it was written by Luke, one of the companions of Apostle Paul. He was a doctor by trade and by, by, uh, and by hobby. He was also a historian. And he sought to capture the life and ministry of Jesus and those of the apostles as we go into the book of Acts. In Luke chapter 1-1, we read this. Inasmuch as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. So that has been a big theme. I've tried to point that out over these last 35 weeks that we've been in loop is these things are an orderly account written from eyewitness accounts. Luke sat down and talked to it. It's almost like a, a newspaper. It's like a documentary. This is a, a, an auto, a biography of, of Christ. And he's wanting to get it right. And he's writing so that you and I can understand in an orderly way and have confidence in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, Luke started very quickly to lay down a strong and sure foundation when he writes that even before his birth, Jesus considered, was considered the Son of God. He was God and also the Son of Man. He was both God and man. From Luke, we read of his birth. We read of the testimonies from, even his, from, from his birth and even during, right after his birth of the encounters with angels who testified to the identity of Christ. We read about his early life, his temptation, and the very beginnings of his ministry. And before we took a break back in August, we read of Jesus' conflict with religious leaders who were complaining about Jesus and his disciples on their practices on fasting and keeping of the Sabbath. They, they were not happy with how Jesus was doing things. Jesus had been going around healing the sick, welcoming the outsiders, casting out demons, redefining worship rituals and practices, and teaching with authority. Luke has highlighted that Jesus has been fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament as the Messiah, the one that they were looking for. This is the Redeemer, the Messiah, the, the Prince. Jesus himself declares in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. For this purpose I was sent. Now, as you and I come now to Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Luke is now moving away from that conflict with the religious leaders to Jesus' interaction with his, his teaching with those who were following him along the Galilean countryside. In our passage today, as now you take your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 6, verse 12, we're going to read how Jesus is going to select 12 men among his many disciples for a special mission that will actually turn the world upside down. But they will do so 
at a very, very high cost. So with that, it is here on the monitor, but also on your Bible, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, Jesus called his disciples and chose from the twelve, whom he named apostles. You may want to circle that. Simon, whom he called Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray as we open up this book that you'd open up our eyes and our hearts as well, that we may see and hear with spiritual eyes and ears, and, and our hearts will be drawn to the truth, that they may give us confidence of who Jesus is, your Son, the Prince who came to redeem us. Father, I pray that you would work with our hearts, help us to respond as the Holy Spirit works in each and every one of us. Let me speak words that are edifying. Know the difference between just my mere opinion and what is the truth, for your truth is there, and we're to be sanctified in your truth. We just thank you so much for your blessings. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Let me go back real quick. Just an announcement that I forgot to give Sean and Lydia Mulligan. Many of you have known. Uh, they've been expecting. She gave birth this past Wednesday, 11-11, uh, to a, a little baby boy, uh, um, Cole. I have it written down here, but I took my Cole. And we are doing a meal train for him. So if you're interested in that, could you please see me? And I'll let you know how you can get on there. And you can also help provide food for them during this week. Be praying for them. We're excited to meet little Cole. Uh, maybe in the next few weeks or so, they'll be ready to bring him in. But be praying for him. He did come up late with a little jaundice. He was, he was induced, came a, a couple weeks early, I think, right? Two, two and a half weeks early, something like that. But it seems like everyone is doing well. All right, so let's go back. Some of the most important words as you and I read this passage of Scripture are the words prayer, called, chose, and named. In chapter 5, we had read of Jesus calling his first disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, along with Levi, who we now are seeing being called Matthew. Now, Jesus had many disciples, men and women, who were following him as he went from village to village, teaching, preaching, healing, casting out demons, so on and so forth. But now it's time for him to select his own dream team, if you will who are going to be supernaturally empowered to continue his ministry and to spread it around the known world at that time. Luke, like the other gospel writers, inform us right off the bat that Judas, that one of them, Judas Iscariot, was a traitor. Now, this passage is a transitional passage, meaning it's helping us go from one event, the, the, the conflict with the religious leaders, and it's going to take us now to where Jesus is on a mountain and he's teaching his disciples what we might call Luke's version of the Sermon of the Mount, as we find in Matthew. So this serves to kind of move the story through. So many times, since we know that Jesus has done that, many times we just read through this passage and we want to get to the, you know, the truths that are found in Luke uh, 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 five, uh, 6, verse 17 and on, the blessings and the woes. That, that's what interests us. But this transitional uh, passage is important as well. It is in Scripture. It is profitable for doctrine, for preaching, for truth and correction and training in righteousness. So there's very important for us to take just a week here and at least look at that because I think there's some important observations and principles that you and I can get even from this list of names. So I'd like to give you some of those uh, important ones. I think I got five of them. 
The first one, and they're not here on the monitor, so if you're writing them down, you're just going to have to listen well. The first one is the importance of prayer. That's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the importance of this passage. The first one is the importance of prayer. Prayer is one of the main themes in Luke. He has already pointed out that Jesus was in the habit of seeking solitaire. Now, not the, not the card game on the computer or, or the card game you play, but seeking solace. He's looking to be alone in order to pray to the Father. And many times this takes place in the mountain. Again, going to a mountain, especially a mountaintop, that's kind of a theme in all of Scripture. That's kind of a place where they get alone with God. So Jesus was in the habit of getting alone and just praying to God. Now, Luke reveals that Jesus prayed all night here. And what do we see? He's emphasizing that Jesus continued in prayer to God all night. This was a big decision that Jesus was about to make. One that is human side. Remember, Jesus is both divine and he knew he was going to choose. But his human side, he was still growing and learning. And on his human side, he wanted to make sure that he got his selection correct. Do so, he wanted, to, he wanted to go to the source, the source of the Father who had ordained all things and were going to give these men turn to him. Now, turn quickly, if you would, to John 17. And we're going to be in John 17, 15 through 17 for the rest of the, the, the day. So you can go ahead and just get there and then find your, uh, your finger there. Look in John chapter 17. And we're going to stay there. The New American Commentary notes that prayer preceded every major decision or crisis in the life of Jesus in the early church. Jesus always does what the Father wills. When Jesus said, pray like this, thy, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he actually modeled that. He believed that. It was more than just a recitation. It was more than just a mantra that you and I pray. He believed it. He lived it. He exhibited it. In every major decision or crisis in the life of Jesus, we find him praying. And even in this case, Jesus is affirming God's will in choosing his team. In other words, he's going to the source and says, you want Simon? Uh, you want Matthew? Are you sure that you want Judas Iscariot? And God has said, yep, that's on my draft board. This is who you're choosing. Jesus is affirming God's will. Now look in verse 4 of John chapter 17. I believe you should be there. Again, bring your Bibles with you. If you don't have one, I'd love to give one to you. Jesus prays. He's praying to the Father. And Jesus says, this is in quotes, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Look at verse 6. I have manifested or made known to or your name to the people, look what it says here, whom you gave me out of the world. In other words, this is important. When Jesus comes to the earth, and he takes on flesh and is given this ministry to slay the dragon and win the girl, to go to the cross, God does not send him as a dream team, the, the highest and the strongest and the most intellectual angels. He could have done that. I think if Jesus would have chose me, I would say, if, if I want my dream team, give me some supernatural beings. 
I want some, I want some beings that are seven feet tall and, and, have a, and have, can wield an axe and a sword. And actually has one, maybe has a shield or two. But no. God says, no, I've got something greater for you. Whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now know that they, everything you have given me is from you. One of the truths that you and I must grasp is the importance of prayer in making decisions in our lives. And I think, Christians, we miss this, especially when it comes to the big decisions. Who should I marry? Should I marry? Should I go to college? What college? Should I buy a home? What home? How should I decide on my finances? How should I decide on my health care? How should we raise our children? What church should we go? The answer will always be, by the way, O-V-B-C. You can write that down. It's somewhere there in John chapter 17, I'm sure. But I also should say that you and I need to go to Christ for the small and medium things as well. So how important is prayer in your decision making? How often do you make a a purchase on Amazon without praying about it? Well, how would that change the click of that button on the phone? How quickly or how important would that decision be before you hit play on Netflix or Hulu? Before you turn to HBO? God, does, does this show glorify you and is it for my good? Whoa! Boy, we probably would be watching a lot of different things, listening to a lot of different things, doing a lot of things. Before you entertain yourself, before you relax, do you ask, is this good for me? Is this something that is your will for me? And the question is, is it glorifying to God and is it for the good of me? Does this make me more like Christ. This has been modeled for us in Scripture, both in the positive and the negative. The apostles and the prophets were consistent in the habit of praying for wisdom. John writes here, in, uh, it's here in the modern, in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who what? Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That's a promise. Do you ask for wisdom? Hey, we have a health scare or we have a financial issue. Uh, we, we, we need to decide whether we're going to stay in California or move. Do you, do you bring that to God? And some of you have some big decisions ahead of you. And some of you have modeled that. I've already heard from some of you that, that to, hey, we're praying on this. And, and you say, no, this isn't God's will for us. See, there are competing desires, right? And competing things. That, that, that are going for your attention and your, and your money and your finances and your entertainment and for your attention. We need wisdom from God to help us understand. King David was known for his prayer for guidance, for help and wisdom. In Scripture, we read of at least nine times that David inquired of the Lord before acting. Now, this is in stark contrast to his predecessor, King Saul. You might recall him, who learned his lesson the hard way. In, in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13, the Holy Spirit tells us that Saul died for his breach of faith. 
Remember, he was supposed to, to obey God, but he did not. And how did he breach faith? It says he broke faith with God in that he did not keep the command of God. How did he not keep the command of God? He consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. How often, just this week, have you broken faith with the Almighty? Have you not inquired of the Lord? Have you have sought advice from those things that are actually opposed to God? I remember when there, we used, when I grew up, uh, and I used to do this a lot, uh, we used to have a thing called a, a newspaper. It would be you, it's something you would unfold, it was black and white, and you would actually read it. Remember the astrology, everybody, that was a big thing. Ronald Reagan's wife, Nancy, was big for saying, helping him make decisions by astrology. I don't know if that's as big as now today as it is probably in some other form or fashion. But you're seeking guidance from something else. We need to pray. Therefore, it says, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. I think God has taken much from us and given it to others because of our failure to pray for him. Our finances, our growth and maturity, maybe our conscience has been given over because we failed in keeping faith. Suffice it to say, it's important for us to adopt the habit of praying for wisdom, discernment, not just in spiritual circumstances, but in relational and financial. Nothing falls outside of the Father's purview. The problem is, is you and I are so used to making decisions without consulting the one who is sovereign, who knows all things. Let's commit this morning, would you? Would you join me this morning committing to living out what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, where he says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You and I need to realize the importance of prayer Jesus did. Even God prayed to his Father. Jesus prayed to the Father. Secondly, is the importance of choosing leadership. Is the importance of choosing leadership. <clears throat> With Jesus' ministry expanding in leaps and bounds, it's now become necessary for him to select several men to assist him. It will be these men who, will, who Jesus will spend the next two years or so molding into leaders that will further his ministry. These men will be instrumental and are going to be called and trained to carry on his mission after his death, his resurrection, and then his ascension. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, the author writes that, Jesus appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. This was a special group of selection of men. Leadership is important. We need leaders. God has given us leaders. Now, they would be his constant companions, privileged to spend time alone with Jesus as he would pour himself into their lives, preparing them for a time when they would be scattered across the known world. In chapter 5, we've already read that Jesus called out the five men to follow him as disciples. But what we have here is something much more, something that is 
greater, a greater call, a more costly call. Well, this would be a good time to talk about the difference between what a disciple is and what is apostle. That's why I asked you to circle that earlier in Luke chapter 6. A disciple, as you know, is a student, a follower, a committed learner of a particular teacher or philosophy or a worldview. Jesus had many disciples who followed him around the countryside. In his first letter to the church of Corinth, the apostle Paul actually writes that there were 500 disciples who saw Jesus ascend into the heavens. Or I'm sorry, who saw him after his resurrection. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, Luke writes that there were 120 who were gathered together after Jesus' ascension that were waiting for the gifting of the Holy Spirit in that upper room. But an apostle, an apostle is a whole different thing. And it's only a, a select group of disciples would become apostles. According to Jewish literature, apostle was a messenger who acted with the full authority of all of the one who had sent him. You and I would think in vernacular terms as an ambassador with credentials. Theologian Walter Leafield writes that the apostles are ambassadors to be sent on a mission. One who has authority to represent a leader. That's what an apostle is. They're going to be sent out ones. Ones that have the credentials that say, I come on the authority of the king. Now, I believe you're still in John chapter 17, are you not? If not, please go there. These men were chosen for a special mission. And they would not be selected lightly with a random drawing or a popularity contest. In John chapter 17, verse 8, we learn that the Father himself would choose these men to serve as Jesus' companions, students, and, and, and successors in sharing the good news of the gospel. Jesus says, for I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. They were the fathers before they were the sons. Leadership is important. God is giving him leaders to lead alongside of him. Moses learned that lesson that leadership is important very quickly after leaving Egypt by taking the advice of his father-in-law and appointing men to help carry the load. It was too much for him. Moses recognized the importance of leadership when he chose and trained and commissioned Joshua to lead the Israelites back into the promised land after his death. We saw that just last week. Israel learned the importance of leadership when they were without a king and they needed judges to deliver them from their enemies and to guide them. The Bible says, and they were without a king, and every man did what was right in their own eyes. A family needs a father, a leader. A team needs a captain. The military needs their generals. The nation needs its presidents, governors, so on and so forth. We all recognize the need of leadership, but it's also important to choose good, wise, godly Leadership, And this is many times where we fail. King Solomon writes in Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people fall. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Leadership is important. He goes on to write of the importance of choosing wisdom over folly in the book of Proverbs. Again, we have only to go to the Old Testament to see the results of wise godly leadership in Israel <clears throat> that followed blessings, but also destruction 
of those that were foolish and ungodly leadership through the many kings. That's why Yahweh emphasized the need of a king to write a personal copy of the law and for them to gather together, as we saw last week, as a nation every seven years and to hear the law read. And also for you as, as, a, as a father or if you're a mother in a single home is to, is to read the scripture, let it be on your lips, let it be on your house, let it be taught in your home. And we are fortunate in this nation that we're able to choose our leaders. I know some of you may not believe that. I know everything's going on today. But whether it is for a president, senator, congressman, governor, mayor, sheriff, or dog catcher, this is a great privilege for us in America. But it's also a tremendous responsibility to take seriously. Typically, we get the leadership we deserve. But as Christians, we should pray and submit and serve them as the mediators of God's authority, whether or not we cast a vote for them or not. Leadership is important. It's also important to the local church. Please turn, keep in John chapter 17, but turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Many times we take for leadership for granted in our churches, or we feel like we don't need leadership. Too many times we've been guilty of electing or even appointing people who should not be leaders or hold influential positions in our church. And OVC, we have been guilty of this ourselves. We've seen the, the results of that type of choice, those type of choices. Now, the 12 men chosen by Jesus were actually a gift of grace to the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, join me in verse 11. We read, and he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So leadership is a gift that God gives to the church to equip the church, to equip the saints so that they could build up the body of Christ so that we may gain, as he says, to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro from the waves and carried a while away by every wind of doctrine. We see that today, unfortunately, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So you and I, even in the local church, church, you should recognize and understand that leadership is important. It's important because it plays a vital role in preparing all Christians to grow in maturity, maturity so that they may serve God and, and other believers. But we pray that God will impress upon us the importance of leadership by praying that God will give us good, wise, and godly leadership by submitting to the leadership that God has put over us and that we may also be trained and serve that leadership and that one day God will raise you up for leadership. Now, our third point is the importance of training. It's not enough just to choose trainers or choose leaders. You also need to train them. Go back to John chapter 17 and go back a couple chapters to John 15. As already mentioned, Jesus knows that his earthly ministry is only for a short time. It's only about two and a half, three years at this point. 
These men that he is choosing today will serve as apostles, messengers, ambassadors, as envoys in a world, listen to this, that is going to be hostile to them. So it's not just men who want leadership. You need to be careful. The Bible said it's good for a man to desire the office of bishop. But never take a man who's actually desiring it. Someone who says and says, boy, I just want to be in leadership. That's probably the man you probably don't want. You need to test them. But he understands these men will enjoy the presence of Jesus. What it would have been to be alone with Jesus. One of 12, right? Asking questions, talking to them, to eat with them. Serve him. But he knows it's going to come with a mighty high cost. In John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus warns these very same men. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before because it hated you. Or before it hated you. Verse 19. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are now the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore... That is really why the world hates you. Remember the word that I said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. To be a Christ follower is to mark yourself as one who is to be despised by the world to be considered an enemy of the world. But yet these men are going to be invested with an authority to represent Jesus among the nations. And he wants them to be ready. So he is going to spend the next time or the time he has left training and pouring his life into them. It is important for us to train and raise up our leaders. Leaders will see how Jesus modeled what we are to train is he spends time with them, teaching them, rebuking them, correcting them, and training them. That's part of training. It's how you parent, right? You do life with them. You, you walk with them. You, you, tell them when they've, you tell them what's wrong or right. You tell them when they've gone wrong. You tell them what to do to make it right. And then you try to teach them how to stay right. That, that's discipling. You are discipling your children. That's what we should be doing in the church and as Christians. He's going to send them out later two by two to apply what he taught them. All of this is to prepare him for the day when he will be gone. Part of that training is the promise of the Holy Spirit who will come as the helper, the comforter, the one who will teach them all things and bring to remembrance all that Jesus had said. And that promise is for you and I today as we read scripture. Many times it's hard to remember all. Somebody's going to ask me a question. I don't have the answer, but, but the Holy Spirit is with you. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will whisper in your ear and say, tell them, I don't know. That's part of good training, right? But let me tell you someone who does. Let me lead you to the next person. You write that down. You go find the answer and you're able to answer, answer it and, and do it well the next time. Explain it. Training is important for us as well. We are to train up men and women who will be able to help shoulder the burden of leadership and advance the kingdom of God as lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. You are called to do that as well. This means you. None of you are exempt from training. 
You may not reach high positions of leadership, but let me share with you, here's the secret. When I say the importance of leadership, what is leadership? Is that just a, a position? Is it a rank? Is it an election? Leadership is this. Here it is. Ready? Influence. That's all leadership is. It's whoever you might have influence over. You may be the lowest ranked person on your employee team, but you still have influence among someone. You still make a difference. It's interesting. This is a side note. This will take me way off. I better mark where I'm at in my message because I'll forget it. As I was reading The Greatest Game Never Watched. This was the dream team. Remember they tore everyone up? They lost their first game, but they did some exhibition. They lost their first game, by the way, to some college players. But then by the second game, they got it together and realized, hey, this is important. The coach said he wanted to see how well they would do. Uh, he wanted them to lose. So he made it such a way that he would lose. But the greatest game ever played, uh, ne never saw, saw or watched. I can't remember the title. It's actually an article. It was right before they, uh, was when they were in Barcelona, they were in a gym. Chuck Daly, the coach, took all the press, wouldn't let them come in. He divided them up into two teams. Michael Jordan was the captain. Magic Johnson was the captain of the other ones. And he said, now you guys play each other. And they played each other for a game. Michael Jordan said it was the most fun he ever played playing the game. But as I was reading about this game this week, you can't really see it. I think you can read about it, kind of a play-by-play. -play. What was interesting that during the middle, beginning of the game, for the first five minutes, you know who was the most effective player on the team who blocked shots, rebound, and scored? Some college player named Christian Leitner. He was the one that influenced the game. Michael Jordan's team was getting blown out by Christian Leitner's team until all of a sudden he said, wait a second. So influence is something that all of us have. Whether you have a position in this church or in your job or in the world, you have a relationship with others. You are a leader in some form or fashion if you carry influence, especially mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. You have a responsibility. If your children are grown like mine are, you still have influence. You still are leading them. It is different as when they were little, but you still have influence. Training is important. We're to train up in men and women who's going to help us grow. We're to place ourselves under the leadership of godly leaders so that we too may learn and grow in maturity. And then we too may be able to train and, and, and lead others. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. This here is on the monitor. Paul writes to Timothy. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust it to faithful men who will able to teach others also. You see, four generations of leadership, of training, what you've heard from me, give to others that they may train others. Paul, to Timothy, to faithful men, to the next generation. That's where Israel failed. And that's where many families have failed. Many parents have failed because they haven't even trained their own children. They haven't entrusted to them the truths that they know. But it's never too late. God has called us to do that. 
Have you taken on that, that responsibility? It's, it's your responsibility to learn so that you may train and lead others. Here at OVBC, we are grateful for the men and women who serve and take seriously this command to study, to interpret, to apply, and model this approach of ministry. I'm very thankful for my two elders that, that lead with me, Landon and Randy. Brandon, who has worked as a deacon, Rick, who has joined and served us for so many years. We have two men that came to me and says, we're interested in being deacons, or I approach them, and they say, well, train us. And we've been spending some time this year training and preparing them. Maybe it's your time as well. I invite you to join us as we continue to grow in this area. We have a lot of ways to go. We try and accomplish this task of training and entrusting and leading through our adult core classes where we're learning today, uh, this, uh, for the next few weeks, the attributes of God. I encourage you to come to find out about more about who God is. Our small groups that meet on Friday. Our main worship service where, where preaching of the word of God is imminent or is, is prominent. And in our personal accounts, our encounters with each other as we try to disciple and mentor those who show that interest. It's one of the reasons that I commend books for you to buy and to purchase. Why I put books in the back there for you to borrow and just bring back so you can read. These are books that we've looked and said, hey, these are important. I know that I cannot feed you at all times. So here is this. It's why I put articles. I want you to just please go in the back. Look at the magazines. Those are magazines that we have said and articles that we think these are important for you. These will give you information, a biblical worldview. We give these things so that you may learn to feed yourselves when we're not able to be there. Or as our culture likes to say today, educate yourself. It is our responsibility. We need to recognize the importance of training. Fourthly is the importance of the men that were chosen. We go through that list and they are so familiar to many of us. And many times we don't even see him anymore. But there are some wonderful things happen as we see these men. As we've read earlier in Mark chapter 5, these men started, or in Luke chapter 5, excuse me, these men started as disciples and they left everything to follow Jesus. Four of them abandoned their fishing business. Matthew abandoned a profitable role as a tax collector. And speaking for the group in Matthew chapter 19, Peter exclaims to Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus agreed with that. But as we gaze over this list of the men that Jesus selected for his dream team, that one thing that comes to mind as I read those names at that moment is that all of these men are unremarkable. They're unremarkable. There's nothing about these men that cry out, Take me, I am valuable. There are no seven-footers in there. There is no bodybuilders there. There is no Einstein in this list. They are unremarkable men by trade, by intellect, by talent, by ability. Instead, this list includes what one theologian remarks as uncommon and unordinary or ordinary. They're just common and uncommon and ordinary. None of these men were religious, political, cultural, or social influencers. They're not leaders. They haven't shown themselves to be. 
This list includes four fishermen, a tax collector, a revolutionary, and as Luke points out, as well as the other Gospels, one tra traitor. One who's going to betray Christ. Now what a strange group. Maybe one might say it's a motley crew. Not the band, but just a motley crew of men put up all together. I could imagine Matthew and Simon the Zealot, one a nationalist and one who's a Roman uh, collaborator. That, that must have made some, they probably kept them two apart. But by their own omission, they were argumentative, competitive, arrogant. In the end, cowardly, as they all left, ran when Jesus was arrested. Several were disciples of John the disciples who left him to follow Jesus. The strangest line in all of the gospel's accounts is that Jesus chose a man that he knew would betray him with a kiss. Even today, Jesus' name is synonym for traitor. There are not too many kids running around with names like Jezebel, Judas, and Benedict Arnold. Traitors are not people that we would willingly choose for our team. But Jesus did. It served the Father's purposes in moving the story of redemption forward. Now remember, we're a little bit further in this story of redemption than when we were in Deuteronomy. We're back now to where we are at the, what I would say, the dawn of redemption being accomplished. Yet again, we must not make the same mistake that Samuel the prophet made when we consider these men, when Yahweh sent him to anoint the next king of Israel. You might recall from in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel sent to the village of Bethlehem, or to the village of Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, where Yahweh had selected the next king of Israel after Saul. And as Jesse's sons line up for the inspection, we read about these tall, uh, mature, warrior-like men. It says, and when Samuel looked, he uh, came, he looked on Eliab, his old, or Jesse's oldest, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. He's like Saul. He's tall. He's broad. He, he's a man who looks like he could command legions of people. But the Lord said to Samuel, you know this passage of scripture. Do not look on the appearance or on the height of a statue because I have what? Rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So this dream team of Jesus at, at first glance is unremarkable. These are just common, ordinary men. You and I probably would not have chose them. However, Jesus does. But before you and I come too harsh with Samuel for looking at the physical character tra traits of men, you and I agree that we, might, we make the same mistake all the time. We expect our leaders to meet a certain physical, mental, and emotional criteria. We want them to look like they just came out of central casting. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but it's an idiom. It's a phrase that's become popular, a popular saying to describe someone who has traits that fit established stereotypes or archetypes, like Clark Gable or Sean Connery or George Clooney for some of you. But as a church, you and I should not be drawn into this message of choosing leaders. And I'm glad you haven't, because if that's the case, I wouldn't be here, short, squat, and bald. One of the things I said that my church would probably could quintuple in slides if, if I could have a, you know, a, a, an Irish uh, uh, tilt to my, my tongue or the 
Scottish brogue, maybe a British clip, or maybe the Australian twang. But we must not be pulled into that same way. You may even feel today that you are not leadership material by the way you look or because of your physical or emotional makeup. You're not leadership material because you don't fit a certain pattern or you believe that you could not learn or help others. Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a mental readjustment. When he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's here on the monitor in verse 26. When Paul writes to the apostles and to the Christians, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise. Now, this does not seem like a great word of encouragement, but it is. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were in noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And just to quote uh, Martin Luther, herein I stand. For I am not wise. I am not all that the world seeks, thank God. For God calls that which is perfect in his eyes. In God's economy, none of us have anything to brag about. Not our physical attributes, not our intellect or our emotional makeup. Like Moses, the Hebrew children, and these men, the Father has chooses, he anoints, he trains, and he sends out his servants for his glory and our good. Let us judge, not as the world does, but as the Father wills. And I say that it's important for us to look at the men chosen. They should be good, godly, wise but it's not to meet some certain type of worldly standard of what they say a leader is. I want to encourage you, you yourself are leaders today. Fifthly and lastly, as we come to the end, is the importance of these men's death. The importance of their death. Now, I know that's not in here, in this passage, but I'm going to take liberty as we look at these men. God is choosing them for something that is going to cost them, most of them, their lives. Though they were uncommon, common, ordinary men, this list contains men who willingly forsook all to spread the gospel through the known world. And like Moses, they considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of the world. For they were looking for a reward that was not here on earth, but is kept up in heaven. We read about that earlier in our call to worship. In Acts chapter 1, verse 21, Read of the qualifications of an apostle when Peter says, So one of the men, speaking after Judas, Jesus had risen, he's ascended into heaven, and uh, Judas has killed himself. Peter says, So one of the men who has accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in uh, uh, and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John. So one of the disciples that have been with us, he's not been an apostle, but he's been following us the whole time. Until the day when he is taken from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So an apostle is one who was with Jesus from his baptism, one who had listened to his teaching, one who had trained by God and one or trained by Christ, and one who had saw his resurrection so they could be witnesses to others. I saw Jesus. Now, this proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus 
would both turn the world upside down using the words of Luke, but also mark them as enemies of the political, cultural, and religious leaders and the followers of both Rome and the Jews. These men were going to be marked. This was a great privilege, but also a great responsibility, but it came at a very high cost. They were called by Jesus to serve as eyewitnesses to his teachings, his death, his resurrection and ascension and pass them along to the next generation. Yet this mission would cost almost all of them their lives. Very quickly, Peter would be crucified upside down. By tradition, Andrew himself, his brother, was crucified. James became the first martyred. He is the only one described in scripture. He is beheaded by Herod. John died from natural causes, the only one who did not uh, die. He was boiled in oil and exiled, but he didn't. He died around 100 AD or so. Philip was stoned and then crucified. Bartholomew was beaten, crucified, and then for good measure, they beheaded him. Matthew was killed by a spear. Thomas by a spear. James, the son of Alphaeus, was crucified or stoned. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Judas, the son of Jonas, was clubbed to death. Judas Iscariot hung himself. I would highly recommend the book, 12 Ordinary Men. Let me give that to you again. Write it down, 12 Ordinary Men by John MacArthur. Uh, it's free with you. If you have Kindle Unlimited, the Amazon Kindle, it's unlimited. You can get that for free. I gave a copy to a lot of the men several years ago, but I encourage all of you to read it. His companion piece is also 12 uh, Ordinary Women. Great book. Also, I would encourage you to get up uh, Fox's Book of, Mortar, of Martyrs. Uh, you can get that at a brick and mortar store or an online store, but also it's also free online. So I would encourage you. 12 Ordinary Men, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Just wonderful. So let me say this. Though you and I are not called to be apostles, we though leaders, as leaders, as influencers, we have been called to proclaim the, uh, the truth of that Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ is crucified is our message. And in the same way, though it may not cause us to be stoned, crucified, beaten, or cut with a spear, it will come at a cost. It will come at a cost. But let me give you one last editorial note before we come to the closing. Is that the office of apostle is no longer. There are many men and some women maybe that try to claim that they are apostles today in some churches. They are mistaken. Most are probably liars or just foolish or don't know scripture. Apostle, as we see here in scripture, was an ambassador sent out by God who walked with Jesus from the day of his, his, uh, his baptism all the way to the time he ascended and were called as eyewitnesses. They were given supernatural powers and supernatural ministry up until that time. Paul, as we see, was the last one called. Uh, there are sometimes Paul calls a Barnabas apostle, uh, some of the others, but in that the, the role of apostle is no longer. But in conclusion, these men, though common and ordinary by human standards, are truly remarkable men. I'll go against what I said. I said that first they looked unmarkable. But by the time that they served God, they became remarkable. They changed the world through the giftings of the Holy Spirit. They gave you and I the scriptures. They gave you and I the knowledge of Jesus through their writings. They established churches around the world and they served their rabbi and savior faithfully. That's what we're called to do.
For you and I are chosen just as those men were. We too are chosen by God to proclaim the truths of Scripture. You and I should be grateful to these men as we read this, you know, this transitional passage of Scripture. Don't race through it. Take time this week to consider what we've shared with you here. You and I should be grateful to these men, giving God the glory for their testimony and service. And in the same way, you and I should consider the same approaches in developing lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God in our own setting. You and I should be looking for someone to mentor us. And then we should be looking for someone to mentor so that we can share, that we can lead that we can influence others. It starts in our home and works itself out through our neighborhood, through our communities, and through our workplaces. And in choosing our leaders, this is speaking to those of you who are members of OVBC, we should commit to praying the Father's will to direct us to choose wise, godly leaders. We need to commit to training, preparing that next generation, and that may include us. And we need to encourage them to finish well as these apostles did. Scripture calls us in Hebrews 13. You'll see it here on the monitor in closing. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. May God help us do that here at OVBC. May God be calling some of you here this morning to leadership. I pray that he does. I pray for you by name. I prayed for you by name this morning. If so, submit to his will and begin today to surrender to his service and leadership. If every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask the worship team and Landon as well to please come on up and be prepared for our pastor's prayer. I just want to take you a moment before you get into your busy day. And I know it's busy and so is your week. But would you take some time today, this morning, this week, to pause and consider the words of Scripture written here in these four verses. Would you pray, consider what God may be calling you to do. And would you respond to his wonderful work and to his call of leadership for us. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.